This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. What is the best way to heal the racial divide in America? Not by rioting or setting fires. What our country needs now is a biblical agenda that will strengthen our national vision and put us on the right road. And that is why my next guest is calling for a Christian agenda as the way ahead and as a means of uniting and empowering people from all backgrounds and races. Joining us now is Bishop Harry R. Jackson, Jr., founder and chairman of the High Impact Leadership Coalition, senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Maryland and presiding bishop of the International Communion of Evangelical Churches. He is also a co-founder of the Reconciled Church Initiative, which seeks to bring racial healing to the church in America. And he is joining us to talk about his latest book called A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. Bishop Jackson, great to have you with us. How are you? I'm doing great, Janet. How are you? I am doing very, very well. And I'm excited to talk to you about this because you have such a good perspective on so many angles on what we're going through right now in America. What are you to think and what do you think about all that's been going on, uh, considering the fact that you had advised the White House that the death of George Floyd would potentially erupt into another Ferguson type situation? What of the explosion that we've seen in this country in the last several months? What's your take? Well, my take is that there is a gut-level generational reaction with blacks and other minorities, uh, a cry for justice, which is genuine. And then there are folk who want to take advantage of the vulnerability, and so that there's an organization called Black Lives Matter that has an anarchistic, socialistic agenda. And so we, the church, have got to, on this whole front, uh, set an agenda of our own. And if we don't create our own agenda, which makes America much more accessible to all, we're going to deal with the fact that this year, Janet, 18 years and under, the majority of kids 18 years and under are in fact minorities. Hmm. That is, black, Hispanic, Asian kids will outnumber whites. 20 years from now, it will be majority minority and uh, an adult level. So do we want to do this by peaceful, Christian, powerful changes that make a difference to advance the cause of Christ? Or do we want to wait for hotheads to erupt in the left versus right kind of battleground? And uh, that will mean darkness, despair, rioting, looting. And we want to choose, I believe, the Christ-centered, peace-oriented, Dr. King-oriented 
uh, agenda. Well, that's so interesting what you're talking about, because you're right. There are people who are genuinely concerned about issues like police brutality and about unfairness in society. And they're out on the streets in some cases trying to just have a peaceful protest. But they are mixed in with some of these more radical elements, the Marxist inspired Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that's thrown a lot of white Christians in particular into a little bit of a turmoil because they say, well, on the first hand, we care about these same issues you do, but we don't want to be tied in with a Marxist inspired agenda either. So how do you navigate that as a Christian? Well, what I think you have to do, I wish I'd invented, uh, instead of Black Lives Matter, I should have said all black lives matter. And hear me out, six years ago, I was in Ferguson uh, talking about a book that Tony Perkins and I wrote from Family Research Council called Personal Faith Public Policy. And I heard the people in the greater St. Louis area, where Ferguson is, say, we don't mind people protesting, but we're concerned about the paid protesters. Mm. And I said, what? We're paid protesters? And then friends of mine saw folk uh, march down the street with oil drums that were set ablaze and fire and looting happened all those years ago in Ferguson around the Michael Brown situation. So I think we as Christians must unite. We are the group that can, according to Matthew 24, heal the racial divide, because Galatians 3.26 says this, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, that's a racial ethnic group, uh, there's neither a bond or free, uh, that's the rich versus poor scenario, and there's neither male or female. Now, we know that we're all one in Christ. We know each one of these distinctions and distinctives are real. So we've got to lead in initiating a unifying uh, uh, agenda. And Janet, I'll say this, imagine a rowboat. Imagine it having two oars and you only using one. You'll probably go around in circles versus advancing across a large body of water. But if you pull both oars, and I recommend that both oars recommend or represent one oar political activism, going out to vote, some of the nine things we talk about in the acrostic empowered and the other or represents the power of prayer and christian living so some christians pray but don't vote others vote but don't pray and that's the problem we keep going around in circles let's advance this discussion by having a unified prayer with action agenda called a manifesto, and I think we can make a difference. Whites need to read this, Janet. Blacks need to read it. Hispanics, uh, this has been um, endorsed, the book, uh, by people like Sammy Rodriguez, Rick Warren, uh, Dr. Tony Evans, Jensen Franklin, Avita King, white, black, brown, Herman Martyr, an Asian brother. So this is part of the way of us doing what Wilberforce did in his day, stopping 
uh, sinful actions by positive prayer and positive action. It's really important, and I think you're absolutely right that it's dual-pronged. You have to have both the prayer and the Christian living and also the political activism. Do you have one particular issue that you think is the most pressing issue in America right now that Christians need to pray about and need to address politically? I do, and it's going to sound very, very simplistic, because there's several. My, my acrostic empowered spells out nine attitudes and strategies. But let's pick one which is simple, pragmatic, it's doable, but left versus right, attack it a different way. Wealth creation. Mm, yes. With blacks you deal with, Hispanics you deal with, Asians you deal with. The fact that some people stereotype Asians as being rich, but then you look at the Vietnamese and others, and you say, ah, maybe not everybody's rich. So what is wealth creation? If we were to look at home ownership, we would say 42% of blacks only own homes. You look at uh, 46% of Hispanics, and just about 50% of Asians would own homes, and often Asians buy house, people of Asian descent, uh, houses with multiple families, and then you rotate uh, the ownership, and the mortgage gets paid off with multiple families, and that's an effective strategy. But if you pass on a home, the average generational wealth transfer, Janet, is $156,000. If a apartment dweller passes on a home, uh, it is in the single digit thousands of dollars. Yeah, I'll tell you what, hang on just a moment. Bishop Harry Jackson with us. We're going to pause for a quick break. His book is called The Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. We'll be right back on Janet Mefford today. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. What happens when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby's heartbeat for the first time? Here's how a nurse describes the power of ultrasound. When she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment. 
that just broke her. And she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Then we were able to share the gospel. Sometimes we were able to give out a Bible if they're open and just minister to her the scientific truth and God's love. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. One ultrasound is just $28 or five ultrasounds are $140. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. And great to have with us Bishop Harry Jackson, founder and chairman of the High Impact Leadership Coalition, as well as senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Beltsville, Maryland, and also co-founder of the Reconciled Church Initiative. We are talking about his new book, A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. And in this empowered acronym that you use to outline your manifesto, Bishop Jackson, you were talking about one of those letters in that acronym, which is W for Wealth Creation. And I know we had to pause for a break there, but wanted to let you pick up where we had to leave off to explain how we bring that about. Well, we deal with wealth creation, which uh, with apartment dwellers, you're only dealing with single digit thousands of dollars, one, two, three, four, five, or the average home transfer generationally is at least $156,000. And in some cases it could be dramatically more obviously. Uh, that would give us a way of breaking the generational cycle of poverty. Now, what you have on one side, the progressive agenda, is let's give Section 8 housing only as a way out of the ghetto. In other words, let's plant uh, housing that's under the market, and we take people from the hood and gentrify them, move them out to another region, plant them in a complex, and they begin to reproduce the same type of, if I might say it, ghetto lifestyle they had in the inner city. But if home ownership and all its responsibilities and the pride that goes with it were made much more available in much more of a capital-driven matter, matter, uh, then we got somebody who learned to take care of their house and they learn to fix things that are there and they teach, by example, their children how to be a part of the society. And in those higher zip codes, there are also better educational opportunities and even if you've got charter schools of choice all around the region, uh, basically it goes wherever your zip code is higher, taxes are higher, schools are better. So wealth creation in this home ownership method would be great. Now HUD is working on a bunch of initiatives, the opportunity zones under President Trump are creating housing initiatives that have long-term money invested, and then you want to bring doctors and nurses to live near 
uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital, for example, in downtown Baltimore. Blighted community gets fixed up. People who have skills move in in order for them to really be established. Safety comes through police. And what you're hearing is a community uplift driven by investment and capital versus a handout. That's just one of those nine things, but these are the simplistic agenda items that are compatible with our Christianity, and we've got to encourage a voter shift within that, let's say there are five to 10% minorities. Remember, that's blacks, Hispanics, Asian and Asian Pacific Islanders, if we could get 5 to 10% of them shifting out of the Democratic side of the ledger into uh, the Trump camp or et cetera, that would mean there's a deficit on the side of the left and an increase. It could very well win this election. So your listeners need to buy a book for themselves and give away two to their friends who are most likely to be influenced. And I've got facts, history, projections, and it's all in a readable format. You don't have to have a PhD or MBA in order to decipher the information. Right. Very good. And that makes a lot of sense because when you can take pride in your own home and it's yours and you don't have a landlord, you're more invested in your community and that makes sense. And that also ties into another one of your points in the Empowered Acronym, which is marriage rebuilding as a social strategy. And a lot has been said about the black family, the black abortion rate, these sorts of things. But what about churches and the ability of churches in creating a marriage culture? Because I have seen, for example, where I am in Texas, there have been some wonderful black pastors who have encouraged marriage and really tried to work for that. But what would be some good ways that churches across America can really encourage a marriage culture, uh, thereby helping the rest of the United States? Well, the interesting, easy part of this is if you don't teach it and preach it, it won't be done. Um, But you've got to start, I hate to say this, at a elementary school level preteen. So if you don't start there, and then you can have uh, all kinds of rites of passage programs as we do, teenagers coming into manhood, or uh, the old scouting program, or their alternatives, where I've got a bunch of people who are now taking, uh, taking other alternatives, but they used to be Eagle Scouts, for example. Right. Um, there are ways that you can teach kids honor, and you include with this the idea that when you're married, a husband does these things biblically, uh, and then you have intervention programs. We have a legacy class, for example, small group uh, driven, that teaches about family and marriage. But the reality is marriage as a strategy is a 10 to 20 year fix. Hmm. Every four years you have a graduating class of, of middle school to high school kids, high school to college kids, and each one of them has got to be taught, I believe, starting in primary school, and then it's got to be modeled 
and then the adults have got to have intervention. If we do this on uh, in sync and then have annual or biannual marriage seminars and sermons, we can turn that longer-term strategy to rebuild around. Yeah. Remember, blacks and Hispanics with, came from countries and places that celebrated marriage and family. Their demise of their families simply is a prophetic a declaration of where the rest of the culture, whites included, are going if we don't turn things around. So don't blame the victim. Let's do some specific actions. And that's weaving the marriage culture into a church. Half of blacks approximately, uh, give or take, are church believers and attenders. Hispanic community, very religious, either Roman Catholic or evangelical, and the white church-going attendees, uh, if all of them decided to be people who invested in marriage, had babies in wedlock, nobody aborting, we would see a strengthening and a turnaround in 10 to 20 years which will be massive. I think that's one of the most, oh, how would you call it? It, it, It's a disarming strategy. It sounds like platitudes, oh, I believe in the family, but there has to be a discipleship base to it. For sure. Yeah, you're right about that. I I also hone in on something else you said, Bishop Jackson, in your book, and you say that only Christians can heal the racial divide because we can truly speak heart to heart. You recommend a national prayer movement that's ignited by the Reconciled Church Movement. Tell us a little bit about what that is and, and why these steps are so necessary. Well, at the Reconciled Church Movement, nearly five years before... I lost my late wife, my first wife of 40 years, died of cancer. Uh, We went through this uh, meeting with about leaders, 200 leaders who represented 40 million Christians, uh, black, white denominations, etc. On a Thursday night, we had 7,000 people gather at the Potter's House, Bishop T.D. Jakes, and uh, D- Dr. James Robinson uh, joined together with me, and we had an amazing event. We came up with seven bridges to peace was the concept, and those bridges to peace had education, many of the things that are in my nine, but we came up with the idea that criminal justice reform was one of the things that we could do immediately that would keep people from losing or or giving them a second chance or opportunity. On the wings of that meeting, and a year or two, guess what? Donald Trump gets uh, elected to president. I'm sitting with some of the people who were in the Reconciled Church meetings in the White House talking about the priority of Christians. Guess what? We added to uh, this thing of the priorities, life, pro-Israel. We added to 
that whole list of Christian priorities, criminal justice reform. Yes. So we had righteousness and justice coming together. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I think this initiative has got to have that strategy. But then I honestly believe that prayer and one of the bridges to peace was prayer that would gather regionally yep. and would be multiple church. So important. Uh, I think that's critical. It is. Yeah, we've got to run. But Bishop Harry Jackson, the name of the book, A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. We'll come right back. Thank you, Bishop Jackson. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, the battle over indoor church services continues in Los Angeles County. On Friday, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge ruled that Grace Community Church could continue to hold indoor services as long as the congregation wore masks and socially distanced. But then on Saturday, that decision was set aside by the California Court of Appeal, upholding the county's health officer order that prohibited indoor worship services during the pandemic. Well, my next guest is a pastor who's also in L.A. County. Shane Eidelman is founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster and now Leona Valley. They also had heard some rumblings about potential action against them by L.A. County, which thankfully did not materialize. But we're going to check in now with Shane and find out his thoughts on all of this. Shane, great to have you with us again. How are you? Janet, it's great to be here. Thank you. We're actually doing good. We're close to that big lake fire, though, out here in California, so it's real smoky. Oh, yes. Well, be careful. We'll pray that you guys get through it okay. I know that you've been on the road. You have said that it's crystal clear to you now that COVID is being used as a political weapon. What do you think about this latest decision in the Court of Appeal that reaffirms the crackdown on indoor church services? What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know what struck me, and you you might actually know more about this uh, than I would, but when was the last time an appeals court met on a Saturday? Good question. Yeah. (laughs) And, and the next day, the day right after. So to me, it, this was planned out. The response was planned out. Um, and as I said, I think last time, too, we, you know, we all backed off in uh, uh, March or so. And, but once you start seeing the fake numbers, you start seeing, you know, the doctored stats and, and the, the push to get vaccinated. I mean, it's just it's so clear that it's agenda. If anyone's paying attention, they can see that. So in L.A. County, um, what happened in our case is even though we are outside, Outside at a big stadium, uh, I guess complaints came in. So L.A. County said, now we have to separate double the distancing or we have to stop singing. Ugh. Well, obviously, you know, we're not going to stop singing. This is getting ridiculous. Uh, and so we moved forward, but we didn't have any challenges on our end that we're aware of yet. Uh, but John MacArthur's case, the court made the decision Friday that he could meet inside the church. But then on Saturday, the appeals court um overruled that and i believe they're gonna when is it meet again on september 4th with the final decision right and these things are gonna have to go all the way up i think these things are gonna have to go up to the supreme court 
uh, depending on where the election goes in November. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, you had what you had reported when you were writing about this last week is that there were complaints that were called in to the L.A. County Health Department about what you guys were doing, even though you were outside. Was this related to the singing or the face masks or what? Well, on Facebook uh, and different uh, other media outlets, people are saying, where, where are, why isn't everyone wearing a mask? You know, wearing a mask. Um, so that was, I think, the main thing. And we have to help with medical issues that can't work out. I don't want to get into the, the politicizing of masks and the ineffectiveness of how really they are. It's a control issue. But we want to honor the city because we're using their municipal stadium. Right. So this isn't our own church. So we do have to be a little bit more careful. But the main complaint was they wanted 100% compliance on everyone in the stadium wearing a mask. And that's hard to regulate with a thousand people. Well, it is. You have been meeting at Jethawk Stadium in Lancaster on Saturday nights, and you've started calling this the uh, hashtag the stadium revival. I'm curious to know, and I know listeners across the country would be curious to know, how is the Lord moving right now in churches in California in light of some of these, you know, light persecution, or maybe in some cases heavier persecution from the local government people from officials like Governor Newsom and some others in the health department? Well, a couple of things stand out to me. Uh, you know, the beach the, the beach gatherings are only about an hour from where I'm at, where uh, 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 worship leader Sean Voigt uh, was down there, and there's large gatherings there in Orange County. Um, so a couple of things, I'll make it real quick. Revival can happen in small places. God usually sparks small areas before the big flame. Uh, hopefully takes over our entire state and our uh, in our country. I believe that the next awakening is our only hope. You've got to awaken the church. God has got to revive his people. And usually when people step out in boldness, they go against fear, they go against popular opinion, they step out in boldness. I believe that God will honor that boldness, and God will begin to move. And so that's why I think you're seeing churches that can, that can boldly proclaim the gospel, while at the same time having humility and grace and love to submit to the leadership, but at the same time, lovingly challenge them. So we've had, I don't know now, 72 baptisms in just three Saturdays. And so many people coming from all over Orange County, Ventura County, uh, Arizona as well. And so God's, I I believe where God's word is honored, where there's boldness, uh, those two keys, when the truth is elevated and the power of the Holy Spirit is moving, that's where you're going to see these, these small types of revivals. Um, spark. And a lot of people are coming because their pastors will not open their churches, if you can believe that. Yeah. They won't even do outside venues. Yeah. So you're really seeing the wheat being separated from the chaff. You're, you're seeing the, the, the lines of, of demarcation are clearly being drawn in the sand, I believe. Well, I think so, too. And, you know, another pastor who's been in the news recently is is Pastor McCoy at, at Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks. And there was a hearing just a few days ago. There will be a further hearing as to whether or not he should be held in contempt for opening up his church. But there was a threat, Shane, as you probably know, that the sheriff's office was being requested to go in and actually shut down the church. I mean, that is this is like the stuff of China. And, and thankfully, the judge did not go for it. But the, the mere fact that you now have government officials in California who really do want to go that far, what is that saying about what is happening in the government church showdown in California? Well, two things. I think people need to wake up. And if this doesn't show you how important the next election is, I don't know what will. 
because remember the president is who puts a lot of these judges in positions of leadership. Some are voted in at the local level, but others are appointed. Conservative justices are appointed that are going to actually control the direction of our nation for the next generation. Yep. Um, and it's a spiritual battle, so the church needs to wake up. Um, I know Pastor Rob, uh, Jack Hibbs as well, and then John MacArthur. I don't know him, but we're all kind of tightly knit together in this push to uh, come against what is happening in California. So to me, anyone who is, is halfway alert spiritually sees the spiritual ramifications or what, have take, or what are taking place. The government is trying to push as hard as they can to silence the voice of truth. But I believe because of the, the demonic undercurrents that are, that are happening, the pedophile rings that are being exposed, and look at what's happening in Hollywood, and look at the homeless crisis in L.A. and the, the defund the police department, and now the, the, uh, the, the liberal elites are fleeing Hollywood like never before for cell signs, and they're trying to escape the very thing that they created. Yep, that's right. What do you think the response of the churches in California should be to some of these unconstitutional mandates? Because in your case, you're having an outdoor service at this stadium. In the case of John MacArthur and Rob McCoy and some of these other pastors, they've chosen to just fully open their churches and come what may. What about the rest of them, Shane? Because I've been saying for a while, if all the churches would get on the same page, California can't shut all of you down, not easily, not without some really bad PR. I mean, what what about these churches that are not doing anything differently when you guys really need the support? Oh, well, you nailed, the, you nailed it on the head because if many churches were doing this, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah. You, can't, you, can't restrain, you can't restrain the force of God's word going out. Um, a couple thoughts, you know, um, we were going to go that direction and, and talk about opening our facility, but the stadium was given to us. So I think a lot of different pastors are in are a lot of different positions. Um, I'm actually speaking at a church in Torrance in Los Angeles in a couple weeks on September 13th in L.A., and they are choosing to open outside. And I, and I see other churches now choosing to open outside. I think John MacArthur, Jack Hibbs, and Rob McCoy have kind of lit the flame of boldness. Um, so I do hear of more churches opening, more people getting their plan in place. Um, but that's a broad question, but the, the short answer is there are also a lot of liberal churches in California. Yep. So you're not going to see liberal churches who don't uphold to the inerrancy of Scripture and who are not filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to see them open. So there goes half of them crashing to the ground. And then you have another segment of California pastors that are, you know, where any of us can be. They are lukewarm. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're more concerned with what's on Netflix than what's not going on in their churches. And, and so you have that group of people, and they just need that, that mighty filling of the Spirit of boldness and, and discernment. Um, so I do see uh, through the Calvary Chapel movement, through uh, Baptist independent churches, they are beginning to open now. Yep. Yep. You're just not hearing about it. You're, You're right. not hearing about it in the media. Yeah, Shane, got to run, but thank you so much for checking in with us. Shane Eidelman, stay safe, and thanks for being here. Thank you as well, Janet. Great job. All right. God bless. We'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. 
I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. A little follow-up on a story we recently told you about. Unite Norman is that great group in Norman, Oklahoma, that has been trying to get enough signatures from registered voters in order to recall the radical mayor and some of the radical council members who are doing insane things like defunding the police and trying to get the rights of 16-year-olds to vote, all the Nancy Pelosi favorites coming to Norman, Oklahoma. And again, this is because the left is targeting towns. They've been targeting towns for a while now, and especially it seems they're interested in targeting conservative towns where people don't pay a lot of attention sometimes to local politics. Well, now, according to Fox, Unite Norman says it has enough signatures to recall the Oklahoma mayor who cut police funding. This is from their headline. And they also apparently have enough signatures to recall one of the council members. There were two of them. They didn't get enough, uh, I guess, registered votes for uh, in order to have signatures on the petition to recall the other two, but one of them did resign. So this is progress. And I have to tip my hat to Bob Lynn and some of these other people who have been fighting the good fight in Norman, Oklahoma. God bless them. This is going to send a message across the United States that if you get radicals in your local government, get to work. And you know, this is a lesson, I think, for everybody across America. Pay attention to your local community politicians, your council members, your mayor, those people who you normally couldn't care less about because it's just now, well, they're just dealing with water rates and you know, subdivision plats and things like boring stuff like that. No, 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 no. And I go back to a few years before this ever happened, and it was when the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, or ENDA, failed in Congress. This would have given, well, now we have it because of the Supreme Court, but this would have changed the definition in federal law of sex to protect the classes of sexual orientation and gender identity. They couldn't get it done through Congress, so what did they do? They went to some major cities, and they started bussing in activists who were pretending to be concerned citizens, and they got all these different resolutions around the country, and then they kept fighting, and 
and eventually they got the Supreme Court and the Bostock decision. So pay attention to your local politics. But anyway, wonderful news out of Norman, Oklahoma, and Godspeed to all of them. And I hope more towns that are experiencing this kind of radicalism will follow suit with Unite Norman and do exactly what those great activists have done. So hats off to you guys. All right. I want to get into this because I hadn't had time to really delve into it, but we had told you the story right from the outset about this terrible situation. This family, the younger family, there was a divorce between the father and the mother and the father is Jeffrey Younger and the mother is a pediatrician, Dr. Ann Georgilis. They have a little boy named James and the mother wants to put the little boy through a gender transition and turn him into a girl as if you can actually do that. You can't do that, of course. It's ridiculous to think you can transition any girl into a boy or vice versa. This has been a smackdown fight between these two parents as they've been going back and forth. Back in October, there was some good news for the dad, Jeffrey. Judge Kim Cooks in Dallas, LifeSite News says, uh, found that Georgilis was overly affirming in instances when James supposedly showed a desire to be a girl, including taking him to LGBTQ parades, buying him dresses and fake hair, and enrolling him in kindergarten as a girl named Luna. And Mr. Younger claims that James does not show any signs of wanting to be a girl when he is with James. He shared with the court that he initially allowed James to wear dresses and girls' clothing at his home until he found the clothing in his trash one morning. So they've been going back and forth. This mom wants this little boy to be a girl. I mean, it is utter child abuse. And now the latest on this, a court has now axed that ruling that said that the father could have a say in his son's medical you know, decisions. And now the court has axed that ruling. And the mom who wants the gender transition for this little eight-year-old boy has regained the decision rights. They also say at LifeSite News, the order issued without a proper hearing allows this mother power over her son James's medical decisions and apparently forces James' father to pay for pro-trans counseling that costs $5,000 a month. This is what's being reported about this poor father who's just fighting for his little boy to not be turned into a fake girl by this crazy mother who's a pediatrician. This woman's a pediatrician. Well, there's more actually when you start delving into this story. Back in October, before this decision came down in favor of Jeffrey Younger, he talked to LifeSite News and some interesting information came out at the time. First here, he was asked, where is this case headed ultimately? And this is what he said, cut one. You know, I've always said, no matter who wins in this case, it's gonna be appealed. This case is gonna wind up in the Texas Supreme Court. I would, I would be surprised if it doesn't make it in the federal courts and even go to the US Supreme Court. And I'm ready and willing to go there because I would like to protect every child in the United States from these abhorrent uh, practices by the medical community. That's one of the reasons why we, you know, We've always said from the very beginning, we didn't just say save James. We said save James, save thousands of kids. And the reason we said that last part is we did not want to forget the other children who are suffering from this with parents that just don't have the resources, the will, the capacity, the circumstances to fight. A really important point. I do hope that this gets all the way up, not only to the Texas Supreme Court, but to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I would hope and pray it goes the right way. But I mean, you have to fight for these children. These people are crazy who want to do this into their own children. Now, Georgilis, interestingly enough, is not even James's biological mother. She and Jeffrey Younger used an egg donor to conceive the boys via in vitro fertilization. 
So he is the father, but she's not biologically the mother. Does that make any difference? I mean, this is information, again, LifeSite News reports on. Now, listen to this. Some interesting anecdotes that Jeffrey Younger revealed about his wife and also about his wife's mother. Listen to cut two. Now, there's one finding that I think a lot of Christians would find controversial. Miss George has actually accused me of being homosexual because of uh, I was discharged for, for this uh, from the Army. Well, what happened there is back in my youth, my, well, you might say my misspent youth, or my, oh, let's be nice and say my checkered past, I was a libertarian. I was not a conservative, I was a libertarian. And a uh, cook in the mess hall of the 45th company at the United States Army Airborne School, which is where I was, I was running the lateral drift trainer, uh, was, was discharged dishonorably for being gay. Now, dishonorable discharge is worse than a federal felony conviction. Pretty much nothing, nothing worse to you can happen in America than getting a, a dishonorable discharge from the military. It was real, and my, it's really reserved for cowardice and battle, okay? So I led a protest against that. And the officer court didn't like it and took it out on me. And that's what happened to me in the army. Um, so I think if, if you hear these people saying that I'm some kind of anti-gay or anti-trans ideologue, you know, my answer to them has been, have you ever been in jail for gay rights? Have you ever stood up and had a, had a career like my military career threatened for standing up for the rights of somebody when I don't even believe in gay marriage and never have? But I do believe in human rights of people and that the government should treat people well. So I don't hide any of this. I put all this out there. I want everybody to know, you know, what that's about. Um, and Miss Georgilis knew all about this. We had long discussions about these things. Um, her mother was a prominent gay rights activist herself, and we had discussions about this too. Whoa, so this is an interesting piece of information. The ex-wife who wants to turn this little boy into a girl is the daughter of a prominent gay rights activist. Now, I don't know who that is, but doesn't this all begin to seem strange? All of this, and the mother accusing her ex-husband of being gay, and he says, I wasn't, and you know, I don't know what all went on in the military, that story that he told, but it's just all very interesting. Last clip, he also commented about charges in the court that he is untrustworthy. This is Kethry. I'm not trying to cross-dress my son and mislead him into thinking that he's a girl. And I'm not pushing my son towards medical transition. And I haven't done all that without the consent of the other parent. So I think if we're looking at Two parents who are imperfect. Let's say you buy the first interpretation of those findings of fact. I think I'm a lot less imperfect than Ms. George was in this on this particular issue. We need to pass a law against this in Texas. And this shouldn't happen to any other child. The, the family court should not be hearing these cases. CPS should simply be taking these children from parents who do this to children and giving them to parents who won't. I agree with that completely, but we're not at the point in the society where we can see that because we have too many people who have been blinded by the propaganda that Big Gay has been shoving down our throats for the last many years. But look who's going to pay the price. If the courts don't stop this, little James Younger is going to pay the price. And here his dad has been saying all along that this little boy has no interest in being a girl. He comes over to his father's house and wants to play football. He's got a little brother there. He wants to be a boy. He's a boy. He doesn't have any interest in being a girl. It, it's much like the testimony that Walt Heyer has delivered, and he's done this on this show before. He said, my grandma used to dress me up in little dresses when I was three and four. Oh, you'll be my little girl. And he got so confused. He ended up having a sex change, became a Christian, undid everything. And now he's helping other people who were 
similarly confused or forced into this false reality that they weren't born into the right body. That There are a lot of lawsuits to come, but please pray for this little boy. Pray for his family. Just pray that the Lord will intervene and let's all work for these kinds of laws. Let's protect these kids from this kind of evil. It's just flat out evil. Thank you for being with us. We're out of time, but we'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mefford today. 